Pastor Jeff is is traveling this week. He and Judy are down in Little Rock, and so we've got a, uh, a guest pastor this morning who I'll be introducing here in just a minute. But um, you know, uh, woke up this morning and and the snow is here. <laughs> so uh, hooray, I guess. <laughs> Some hard work ahead. It, you know, we we do something in my family. Um, all seven of us, even even the uh, the couple that are out of state uh, doing doing work in school. Uh, we, we try to guess when the first snowfall is going to be, and so the winner gets, you know, a McDonald's McFlurry. And so, because I don't need a McDonald's McFlurry personally, I try to lose. And, but, but this year I picked November 7th, and it was looking like I was going to win. And so I kind of got into it, and I was getting getting psyched up. I thought, well, maybe this would be the first time ever that Dad wins. And, uh, you know, as we got a little closer to November, uh, my daughter Amy, who's 11, um, it was just sort of aggressively rooting against me. And I was like, Amy, what? what's that all about? And she, she basically said, well, Dad, you know, when you win, you're really obnoxious. So I don't know. It's uh, biblical counsel there. Um, I do have a couple of announcements. The first thing I'd like to just bring up is the Thanksgiving blessing. Um, three weeks out, hard to believe, but uh, uh, every year we support that uh, really important ministry. And um, Rich and Wanda Klein are sort of the, uh, the face of, of how our church interacts with that. And so please stop by the table in the back. There's something in the bulletin that, that speaks to that. Um, we are a little bit behind on uh, getting donated boxes of the stovetop stuffing. So um, usually we, uh, we kind of surge right at the end, but we still need about 1,500 of the small boxes. Or if you want a brave Costco parking lot, you can go get the big box. We only need 250 of those, so up to you how you want to do that. Um, and then on, on the other side of the insert, uh, the Women of Anchorage Grace will be doing a fellowship night on November 10th. Um, and so uh, it'll uh, basically be a worship fellowship and testimony with the women. And um, Toby Giroux and Vicki Witt can be contacted about that, and their phone numbers are on the back of this. Well, I'm really privileged to have a good friend of mine, um, Pastor Nick Ringer, with us this morning to, to uh, help us get into God's Word. Um, Nick is... Uh, a friend of mine and a friend of the church, he is serving as the president of Alaska Bible College, uh, which is located up in Glen Allen, and uh, there's a vision to, to continue to sort of move from Glen Allen and, and progressively look to move uh, south here to Anchorage, and so we've been a, a sort of elder board to, to uh, board of directors with Alaska Bible College talking about the possibilities, and so pretty exciting that uh, we're developing a relationship and God's opening some doors. I'd like to just read um, kind of the purpose statement of Alaska Bible College. Purpose of Alaska Bible College is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and extend his church by equipping and motivating believers to transform the world through ministries that evangelize, disciple, and meet human needs. The college molds men and women of God into obedient disciples and capable leaders according to the biblical mandate of discipleship. Alaska Bible College nurtures its students in a spiritual, social, and academic setting that enables them to deeper, deepen their relationship with God, form a Christian worldview, and develop their gifts in order to serve Christ in his church. This really resonates with Anchorage Grace and with Grace Christian School, our largest ministry. Uh, we're, we're an education-focused uh, um, church body, and I think that's what God has called us to do, and he's really blessed 
Grace Christian School over the years of its 30 years of existence. And, and so we see um, more opportunity to, to uh, foster education uh, with a partnership with, with Alaska Bible College. So really appreciate that. I got to know Nick uh, well about a year ago. Um, he was commuting all the way down from Glen Allen every week to teach uh, inductive Bible study class on Thursday nights, and there were a bunch of us in there, I don't know, about 25 or so, I think. And um, what I'll tell you about Nick, and I think you'll see that when, when he comes up here, is uh, um, he's a bit of a taskmaster. <laughs> we, we had a lot of homework. You know, but I tell you, I you know, um, had a fair amount of school myself over the years and, and a couple of degrees and, and whatnot, and... Uh, this was this was you know maybe the best class probably I guess I will say it was the best class I've ever taken it was unbelievable, and it just it just uh, really opened my eyes that much further by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, interpreting God's word, um, exposing the truth that comes out of it. It just hit me so hard that you know there is no limit to what God will teach us if we take the time to do it and we put the work in. So um, Nick is a uh, a um, graduate of Bethel College with a uh, Bachelor's of, of Arts and a uh, Master's of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. He'll tell you none of that stuff means anything. I'm really a farmer. So he's, he's going to bring us God's Word this morning, and he is a great biblical teacher. So listen up. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, worship team. Uh, I was talking to, I think, Stephen over the break, and it was like, after I got done with the, the music time, it's like, maybe we ought to just call it good and go home. Uh, it was that good, so thank you for that. I'm honored to be here. Um, it's, as always, a pleasure. I know so many folks here from the Bible class, and um, we've just had some fun here. So um, this morning, I'm excited uh, to share, and as he said, you know, I'm a farm boy. I don't know how I ended up where I'm at, but... Uh, So I I might go farmer on you once in a while during the service, so bear with me as I do that. Um, Before we get started, let me me just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit that lives in us, that leads us to truth. I ask that as uh, we open your word that you would teach us that that our thoughts uh, would be good and our thoughts would be worthy of you. Lord, now may the words of our mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are a rock, a redeemer, and in you we trust. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start with tell you a story. Um, years ago, there were two little boys. They were brothers. They were like four and five years old, and they, well, they were kind of ADD, and they, they lived a life of kind of terrorizing their mother. And uh, on this one given day, uh, they were in the back of the house, and in the back of the house, there was an old, um, an old washroom area. And as the older brother uh, was looking around, and normally he'd climb up there and dig through the medicine cabinet. But on this given day, he, he looked up and he noticed that one of the bulbs above the sink was missing. And he found that perplexing. And so, so uh, he watched until mom was well in the other room. And he climbed up on the sink in his bare feet. And it was one of those old sinks that had a metal rim around the edge. And he, he leans over and he promptly jams his fingers in the light socket just to see what happens. And much, much to his surprise, it hurt. And he starts screaming, you know, but he couldn't get his hand out. 
So he just stood there shaking and screaming until mother from the other room comes running in and sees her son being electrocuted and she grabs him off of the thing, you know, and she carries him in the other room and she scolds him and she scolds him and he's still crying and whimpering and she's really laying it on him, you know. And as she's in the other room, this, the younger brother's standing there and he's looking at this whole thing transpire. And he says to himself, what a baby. That couldn't have hurt that bad. <laughs> so mom in the other room, screaming, brothers in there screaming. Younger brother crawls up on the sink, jams his finger in the light socket. Only to find out that the older brother was right. He really hurt. <laughs> My mother comes in and yanks me off of the thing. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Obviously, I couldn't learn from my older brother's mistake. As we, as we get into Proverbs chapter 24 today, we're going to see that... The reality is, is we can learn from others' mistakes. In fact, we not only can, but we should. All right? We're going to see that in this passage, um, the opportunity to learn uh, from the mistakes of others' lives. Um, And there is a place in Acts, I think chapter 27, when Paul says, I told you so. So it's actually biblical. So if you see something going wrong, you can tell him, I told you so, and know that Paul did the same thing. So... Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34, says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw, I reflected upon it, and I looked, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want as an armed man. Very simple little passage. Uh, let me give you uh, just some basics on Proverbs. I don't know how much you read Proverbs. Proverbs are just uh, a, a compilation typically of, of sayings that uh, are in many cases generally true. Some of them are absolutely true, but there's principles that they're trying to get at. Uh, written primarily by Solomon, wisest man who ever lived according to Scripture. But who they were written for, I found, was very interesting. They were written for young men. Uh, particularly princes, as they would come up into service of the king. It was kind of like, uh, or at least as viewed by some, as kind of a handbook for godly leadership for young men as they come up. This is how to live well under the service of the king. Now, in this proverb, and if you've read them, uh, hopefully you'll notice right away that this one is unique. It's one of a few uh, out of all the scripture in, in, this, in the Proverbs It's unique. Now, if you notice, most Proverbs are instructional. You know, do this or don't do this or or a fool acts like this or a wise man acts like this, etc. But this one's in first person. Did you see that? Notice what it says. I passed by the field. So this guy's writing from a first person experience. So he's saying, I observed, I did something. Now, if you would take one of my classes like Steve did... One of the things I'm going to pound is observation. We observe and observe and observe the text. The more you observe it, the better your tools are so you can understand it. And then once you understand it, then you can apply it to life. It happens all the time. Uh, we just don't realize that that's what we do. Ever been going to the doctor? 
get that stack of papers when you walk in the door. They wanted you to fill out what? Your health history, your parents' health history, your grandparents' health They want everything. And it's a little annoying, right? But there's a reason for it, isn't it? They want to do their observation very well on you, so when they interpret that, oh, you know, you know, grandfather, mother, siblings, everybody's got high blood pressure. Um, they're, they're noticing some things. They want to treat you well. So they observe, then they interpret, and then they can say, well, let's apply a blood pressure pill or whatever it is. We do it all the time, but we need to be able to do it on the text. Observe, I, he says, pass by the field. So he's writing from a first-person section. Also, you need to know when you get into Proverbs um, that they're almost always written in couplets. Two lines go together. Uh, and you need to see how they fit together. Sometimes they're exactly the same in the sense that they say the same thing in this line as they say in the next line. Sometimes they're synthetic where they say something here and then they add something to this so you can actually get an added meaning in the second line. Sometimes they're just contrastive. That says this line and then it starts with but... And it gives you the opposite of that. So if you don't know what the first line says, read the second one, and then you can see the opposite. Help you understand for interpretation. It's just part of observation. Starting out in verse 30, notice this. He says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. Now, he's really saying this, talking about the same place. He went by one place here, and he's identifying as the field in one hand, and the vineyard, which he's more specific in the second one. So he's walking by somebody's farm. That's simple enough. But he identifies the type of person whose farm he's walking by. It says the sluggard. Now we typically know sluggard as the lazy, right? They're just lazy folks. But, but really the term in the language would give you more than just lazy. You've got someone who's morally deficient. They're not only lazy, they're just doing it because they don't really feel like they have to. There's, there's, there's some sort of you know, something deep inside that says it's more than I'm just tired or I just don't want, but I don't want to. So you got somebody who's just got a kind of a rebellious, maybe heart behind it. And then the next idea is the one who's lacking sense. Now, it's different to be lazy and someone who lacks sense. And I'd like to say that the lacking sense will be borne out through the balance of this. But to lack sense, I believe, is to not be able to see the end result of your action. That the, this slugger doesn't know what's coming, or he has refused to think about what's coming. If I don't do my field work, he's not even thinking harvest yet. And he's not even thinking about the season after the harvest, or trying to make it all the way the, to planting season again. So he's, um, you've got a guy here, he walks by his field, he sees, man, this guy is not doing the job. Verse 31 goes on, it says, and behold, or look. I mean, he looks at it and he's describing what he sees. It was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. And it's like, he's observing the result of this guy's inactivity. And it was completely overgrown. Well, it takes a while for a farm to get overgrown completely. It takes a while for stone walls to break down. It just doesn't happen in a week. It happens over a length of time. And this thing was in bad, bad shape. Now, I grew up farming. And so I can recall from, from little up, 
the type of work that went into farming. I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, during the summers particularly, uh, because granddad would come and wake me up. Well, mom would wake me up because granddad was at the door. And, and we were just, you know, we were small, you know. And it was like 4 a.m. It's still dark outside. And it's like, come on, we're going to go hoe the fields. What? You mean hoe the fields? It's like dark outside, you know. And so we were so small that they didn't trust us with a hoe, you know, because we might chop out valuable plants. So they give us a butcher knife, you know. What's a seven-year-old going to do with a butcher knife, you know? Well, granted, it's anyway, you got to grab the weed and you got to reach down and you got to cut it off in the ground so it doesn't find its way back up. Backbreaking labor. The blisters that were raised, the sweat and the bug bites and being soaked from head to foot in the morning as you walk through the wet fields and then to be dried out and sticky in the afternoons because you're... To walk up and down 180 acres of fields over and over and over... It's painful, labor-intensive. But when you got done, you had fields that were clean. You had a farm that was functional and profitable. I understood what it meant to take this guy to leave a field go completely grown over and to have walls falling down. It was brought up to somebody over the break. If you ever been, been to New England, seen those stone walls? You know why they have the stone walls, Right? Because every year when it frosts and freezes, it more stones come up, more rocks. And if you've got to clear them out, and that's backbreaking labor. So the person obviously was not interested in the effort it would take to keep this thing going here. We had a neighbor. He didn't want to plant till way late. And he didn't want to harvest. Well, he almost rarely harvested. Most of the winter, his crops would be sitting out all winter. And so he was constantly hungry. And so inevitably, every fall wintertime, when he realized he wasn't going to get a harvest, he'd go out and have a public intoxication, which would get him, what, three or four months in the local lockup, so he got three meals in a cot for the winter. And then he'd try it again next year. But he just didn't want to work, and it just became visibly evident. Now watch what happens as he moves on here. Uh, Verse 32, I saw, I reflected upon it, I looked and I received instruction. Now we have a synthetic parallelism here because the first line gives us some information and the second line adds something to that. Do you see that? It says, when I saw, I reflected upon it. That means he's cogitating, right? He's thinking about this thing. I walk back by the field. Man, it's a mess. Wonder what that means. Can't be good. So as he's he's, he's doing that and then he gets to the next line, He says, I looked and I received instruction. Literally, I received discipline for my life. It was more than thinking. He took his thoughts of what he observed and now he added it to the activity of his life. That's the necessity, not just to think about it, but to take it and to put it into action. He was able to look, receive instructions from somebody else's mistake. That's crucial. To life. Know anybody who's made a mess of their life? You know, just pick up the newspaper, right? It's pretty much filled with lives that are a mess. Do you ever cogitate on what caused them to get to that point? How did they get from... I mean, we were, we were talking about babies this last week on campus. I, I'm a grandfather. 
proud grandfather, grandfather and is way better than parenting. They smell bad, you just give them back, you know. They cry, you just give them back, you know. I got one more coming and, you know, the girls on campus are, oh, babies are wonderful. And I think they grow up, you know. They turn into teenagers and stuff like that. How does someone come from a baby to what we see in the newspaper? Do you ever think about that? What happened in their life that allowed them to come to this point? Are you willing to think about it and learn from others' mistakes? A few years later, my brother and I, um, and we were quite a pair, um, we, were, we were on the farm and we had 180 acres. And back in the center section of the farm, it's about like a half mile drive, there was an old wooded section. And, and we used it to cut firewood out of and whatnot. Um, but in the summertime, we'd, we'd run a bunch of hogs out there to keep the weeds down. And then we'd harvest them come fall. So every day we'd get, you know, ride in the back of granddad's old Chevy truck. We'd get these 10-gallon milk jugs and we'd fill them with water and grab some feed. And we'd drive down the bumpy old trail and then feed them, you know, water them. And then, you've, I don't know if you've heard of a hog calling contests, the fairs. That's what we did. We called them, you know. We sounded just like at the fairs, silly sounding. But on this given day, uh, we had fed the hogs and we were... My brother and I were riding on the back of the truck, you know, long before seatbelts. And, and, and we were bouncing along. And my brother lays himself over the tailgate like this kind of. And his feet were dangling, you know. And so he was running with the trail as we... And granddad's probably going 10, 15 miles an hour. So I join him and, and we're just running. And he looks at me and he says, I think I can run as fast as we're driving. <laughs> I said, so do I. <laughs> so with that, he plants his feet, think he's going to run, and he hits the ground, and he does a face plant on this trail. You know, and, I, and I, all I can remember is I remember looking back, and he's sitting there, and he's got blood on his nose and mouth and dust everywhere, and I'm just waving. <laughs> he had to walk all the way home, all, all beat up. You see, you can learn from other people's choices. Now, the light bulb thing I didn't get early on, but, but after that I started catching on. I'm going to let him make the mistakes. This guy in the Proverbs looked and reflected, thought about it. He looked and he received instruction, discipline for his life. And then he makes a statement. What did he observe? What what? lesson can he take from this? Verse 33. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I tell tell my students in my Bible study methods class, when you see something that's repeated, you want to make note of that. Because the author is repeating something on purpose. So if he repeats a little, a little, a little, All in one verse, you're going to say, why is he saying a little bit of sleep, a little bit of slumber? Because I don't think the owner of the field had any intention of not getting a harvest. I don't think he had that in mind at all. I think he was just thinking that if I take a little nap, it ain't going to harm anything. If I rest a little bit, it ain't going to matter in the end. If I fold my hands and just take a little break, it'll all work out in the end. He didn't intend to come to harvest time and have everything overgrown and broken down. Isn't that how life works? My grandmother said, you can fritter away your time. We're Mennonites, and Mennonites are not big at frittering, I tell you. (laughs) 
They, they, they wanted to work, and we worked. But just a little bit at a time ends in a bad way. Now, there's a couple pieces you need to see by this. Um, I thought it was interesting that the intention was not bad. Maybe just a little uninformed. But the intention wasn't bad. I got, I've got seven kids, and my youngest boys are 17. And, um, and for a while there, they went through a little phase of playing video games. Uh, I'm not big into video games. That's like frittering, you know. <laughs> we don't do that. And, but I remember that, they were, that one time they were playing this, this uh, Call of Duty game. And I, I tried to watch them for a little bit, and it made me motion sickness, so I went back to work, you know. And uh, so I did some research on that because it seemed like it was kind of a game that would really grab their attention. It's hard for them to shake loose from that. And I went and did some research. And when Call of Duty Black Ops, which is a, a, one part of that game, came out, in the first 45 days after that game hit the market worldwide, they calculated that there were 600 million hours played in 45 days worldwide. 600 million hours in 45 days. I calculated, that's, that's, that's 68,000 years of, of video gaming. 68,000 years. I mean, if someone averaged 68 years old, that's a thousand lives that were spent in that 45 days playing a game. Just a little sleep, a little slumber, a little twiddling of the thumbs. And something bad's coming down the road. We can see it. We can see it coming. When he says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, you understand that sleep, slumber, and rest are all three different words in the language. Uh, but most interesting to me was uh, the little folding of the hands to rest is an interesting concept. The concept that it uses hands is often in the Hebrew understanding as the, the strength or the power that a person has is in their hands. That they're taking the, the strength or the power that should have been theirs to work on the farm and they're taking that power and they're, they're just folding them up. And then the concept that follows folding of the hands to rest and the term rest there is, is one of, of just... Self-indulgence um, is often used of a sexual liaison, actually. But it was just, it's taken for themselves. They fold their hands for their own personal enjoyment. And they don't see the future. I tell my kids all the time, the essence of wisdom is to being able to see the end result of your choices now. Our choices have consequences, and if we can see the end result, you'll make better choices, I keep telling them. One day they'll listen. Now, i got great kids. He goes on to say, uh, then. Now, now, if you're a Bible study student, you're going to circle that, that then. Because he's saying a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Then, now we've got what we call cause and effect. This happens over here, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Then this follows. What follows? Then your poverty will come on you like a robber. And your want like an armed man. You're going to have needs that you can't fill. Poverty stricken. You're going to be in want. Then what's going to happen? They're going to come on you, and he uses the figures of speech as a robber. Nobody wants to be robbed. Nobody anticipates being robbed. Do we? Hopefully not. 
come on you as a robber, unexpected, in a very bad way, and you're want like an armed man. An armed man has a concept there of a soldiers who would show up unexpectedly, perhaps of an invading army or something, and then you're stuck. What are you going to do? You're unprepared. Now, we come to the end of that section. Um, the direct application is, meaning is, if you don't work hard, when you should work hard, ultimately you'll be hungry. Well, most of us don't have that as a direct problem, do we? Most of us don't have vineyards or stuff to worry about. Anybody got a vineyard? Field. Garden. House plants. Okay, we got a few here. So it's hard to come up with a direct application if we don't live in that type of a society, right? But the principle here is a good one. The principle of being diligent with your time will pay itself dividends, or the failure thereof will have a cost attached. And here's where I want to go with this. I believe, I believe, the biggest issue is our spiritual lives. The fields he's talking about, I believe, are the spiritual lives of Christians today that have gone untended. We do realize that our spiritual lives take work. That you have to study the Word and study the Word and study the Word and pray and engage it on a regular basis or we grow weak. How is your spiritual field? And I don't think a garden's adequate because a field means labor. Gardens can be more recreational. How's your spiritual field? Has it been tended? Have you noticed anybody whose spiritual life is overgrown with weeds? Thorns, painful things, whose walls have come down. Because you can see it. You can see that sin has overrun their lives. Or that they ran into a problem and they have no strength, no peace, no joy. How is your spiritual field? Has it been tended well? I found this article um, online. It was written by... Uh, a guy from one of those East Coast um, universities. But he's talking about the American dream. The idea of the American dream was originally the idea of thrift and hard work and savings and, and hopes that you could find success in a country that gave opportunities. And he's writing in relation to what that looks like today. He says, in the aftermath of World War II exacerbated the ethical shift as a co- consumer culture blossomed and Americans became preoccupied with material goods As one critic noted, consumed by the desire for status, material goods, and acceptance, Americans apparently has lost the sense of individuality, thrift, hard work, and craftsmanship that characterized the nation. The result of this shift in work ethic has actually spurred rather than lessened the people's desire to achieve the American dream. Yet the real difference is that the dream has become more of an entitlement than something to work towards. Many Americans no longer entertain a vision for the future that includes time and sweat and ultimate success. Rather, they covet the shortcut to wealth. Many who are engaged in work view it more as a necessary evil until striking it rich. This idea has been perpetuated by a massive marketing effort that legitimizes the entertainment industry, state-based lottery marketing drives, or legal advertisements. Americans are told again and again that the road to the financial success of American dream is more a matter of luck than hard work. I think that's true. 
but sadly, I think what's more true is in the Christian faith that we have grown up with the idea that we're entitled to being spiritually mature just because we raised our hand or walked the aisle or said a prayer. And I've been a Christian for how long? Therefore, I'm entitled to spiritual maturity and all the joys that that should give me, right? God owes me at least that. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Scripture tells us that this walk of faith, this study in the Word, is time-consuming. It's labor-intensive. It requires our constant attention or we get overgrown with life. It's just the nature of it. Howard Hendricks would say, dusty Bibles always lead to dirty lives. Talking about lives overgrown. Lives with the walls broken down because the Word of God wasn't, in, wasn't given what it needed. I want to turn to one quick passage in Timothy. Paul says the same thing, just in these words. He says, be diligent. And that word means give it your best. Give everything you got. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So he's, getting, he's coming in from the backside, that there's going to be a time where God is going to measure. There's the harvest is coming. Present yourself approved to God, a workman. You notice he doesn't say something like, you know, you know a recreationalist. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. What he's saying is, you've got to work at this. That's why I take my class and I put them to work. Best thing to do is practice. Get in the word over and over and over. And practice and practice and practice. And, and eventually, eventually, you gain proficiency. You gain effectiveness for life. I, I had a friend of mine who used to, he used to say, you know, the old statement that practice makes perfect. You've heard that. It, that that's also a proverb. It's not true, but it's a proverb. Not a biblical proverb. The reality is that practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. If you practice badly, like a little sleep, a little slumber, you practice that, it just becomes permanent. It's not a good thing. So when we study the scriptures, we practice well. We do the skills correctly. As Steve would say, we observe, we interpret, we apply. We use the mechanics that that are ours to handle this word well so we're not ashamed when harvest time comes. That our lives aren't overgrown. Hendricks would also say that the Scripture does not yield its fruit to the lazy. How deep is this word? (laughs) It's deep enough that you won't reach the bottom. But it's available to all who come. How many of us, and I'll speak to myself first, are living spiritually unattended lives? Have you seen any of those? Have you seen any of those? If your life hasn't given you some pain, just wait a little longer. It will. It's the nature of life. We don't expect it until it shows up. And then what you do with it is going to be based on your skills. I, was, I bought a house in Palmer, a little, little fixer-upper. I mean, it's, it's a small but a big fixer-upper job. And I was by myself the other weekend, and I was 
I was taking out a kitchen window. It was like so big. And it was one of those that hinged at the top, the old Pella's. It's got an arm that you latch out like that. And as, as I was taking the window out, it was, I was trying to push it outside. And I cut all the nails off. And I had a ladder staged outside the window. And the window was open. And I wiggled it out. And I set it on the ladder. And I grabbed the open frame. And as I went to slide it down the ladder to get it to go down, the window slammed shut and latched. On both hands. And it had my knuckles all the way in there. And I had my pinkies and my thumbs out. And it hurt. I mean, that thing, there was no room. And it was just mashing my fingers. I didn't expect that pain. I really didn't. And I, I didn't know what to do. There was nobody to call. My arms were hanging outside the house with a window hanging on them. And it was excruciating. And finally I said, well, this is crazy. i got to get my hands out. So I thought, I'm just going to wrench them out. That didn't work at all. That just hurt way worse. I wasn't prepared for the pain. I wasn't prepared for this event. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So So finally I wrestled the window back in through that hole. And then I got in here and I still can't get them out, you know. And it's like, this is crazy. So, uh, you know, and all the time I'm going, ah, ah, you know. You know your fingers get really flat if you mash them like that for a good while? <laughs> Finally, they do. I was like, this thing was like a quarter inch thick. I'm like, didn't know I could do that. So I finally end up laying the window on the ground with my fingers still stuck in it. And I'm grabbing a flat bar with my feet. And I'm lifting a flat bar to stick in the crack <laughs> to, to pry my fingers out. The pain is unexpected and we don't know what to do when it comes. Unless you're prepared. Spiritually, the pain's coming. You're going to be challenged deeply in life. And how you respond will be how you've tended your spiritual life to this point. Are you ready for the heavy lifting spiritually? Are you ready? Because you will be challenged with some of the deepest challenges that you've ever... You can't even anticipate some of them. I know that I couldn't have anticipated some that would come my way. Loss of lives around me of people I know and love. What do you do then? What do you do when you see somebody who you love dearly and you see them in a marriage that's just shattered? You'll face these things eventually. How many lives are unattended spiritually? We're busy, right? It's the, it's the natural law of unused time. We fill it up with something, always. Eventually life will demand a strong spiritual engagement. And you'll be brought to that. I was going through this. I was remembering years ago, I was a pastor at a church. And um, I don't do a lot of counseling. I'm, I'm not very good at it. I'm more of a kick-in-the-butt kind of guy and go, go you know, figure it out. Um, and this couple I knew from the church said, we'd like to come over and speak with you. And I'm like, okay. So they come over to the house and they say, Nick, we're going to get a divorce. We're just done, but we thought uh, we'll give it one more chance, and it's up to you. If you don't fix it for us, we're going to call it quits. <laughs> I'm like, 
thanks. I'm like, well, why are you getting divorced? Is there infidelity? Is there something? And Well, nothing really. We're just kind of grown tired of each other. Well, that time I, I was mad now. What are you talking about? You come to me and put that on my back? Say it's up to me to save your marriage and you don't have a good reason? And normally I'm a very nice guy. I'm encouraging and gentle. But that day I just, I just had it with him. Now, this isn't normally. I just said, get out of my house. Just get out. You have not taken care of your spiritual fields, and now you're going to tell me that it's my fault, or that I have to somehow quick clean up your fields and rebuild your spiritual walls so you can now have the marriage you always dreamed of? I said, go home. Just go home. I don't want to talk to you about it. You go read the Word of God, and you spend some time there, and then come back and we'll talk. They went home like tails between their legs. They, were, they weren't very happy with me. And they didn't talk to me for like six months. About six months later, I get a phone call. Pastor Nick, we were so mad at you. How dare you talk to us that way? But you were right. We went home and we started digging through the Word of God. And we realized what, what we were talking about wasn't right. It wasn't biblical. It wasn't where we needed to be spiritually. And we've got ourselves squared away and we're, we, our marriage is, is doing great. How are your spiritual fields being tended today? How are they being tended today? Well, I'm going to tell you what I tell my students, what I've told my kids for years. If you want to tend your fields, and I trust that you do, it can't be apart from study of the Word of God. Pastor Jeff will say it all the time. I know he does. I told my church I pastored for seven years. I just resigned so I could do more work at the school. Tell him every week where I'm going next week when I'm preaching. I said, and if you don't read it oh, 40, 50 times before next Sunday, you're going to miss out. You're not going to get what you need to tend your life. You just can't count on me. I don't give you 35 minutes. That's all you're going to get out of me. But you need to give the time. The energy towards that. Be diligent to study so you don't get a life overgrown. And this is what I wrote to myself, which is because I've been, had my class in that Mark passage, chapter 4. I wrote to myself, the cares of this life. Anybody got any? A few. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for more stuff will overgrow your life rapidly. It will. And according to Mark chapter 4, it will also choke out the word of God and what it would do in your life. Another farming metaphor there for you. You will want and need a deeper, more meaningful spiritual life eventually if you don't want it now. And you will need it. And you can find it by studying the word of God. Now, the one thing that I didn't say much of and I want to say it just one more time. This job to study is mechanics. It's mechanical. I grew up in, this, in the Mennonite background. It was all mystical. That, you know, the pastor would get up. Well, pastor, they had like five farmers. They sat up on the pulpit, big tall pulpit. And they would look at each other and decide who was going to preach that week because they hadn't planned anything. They're farming, of course. And so when somebody finally caved in and stood up and he grabbed the giant church Bible, you know, it's like a coffee table, table out there, and he'd f- flop it open. 
Ooh. Ooh, I didn't, I've never read that. You know, and he would subtly try to roll to something that he's read before. And then he would try to preach out of that. 26 years of horrific sermons. It's a miracle that I got saved. It's not mystical. It's mechanical. You learn how to read well, observe well what it says. And then you can see what it, from there what it says, what it means. And once you know what it means, you can say, I know what it means. Now I want to apply it to my life. It's not rocket science. But you have to, well, you have to go to work. If you don't want that lives to become overgrown. Make sure I get you my last statement here. Oh yeah. Tend your spiritual fields well. Intently, purposefully. And my favorite word of the day is tenaciously. Hang on to it. Go after your spiritual walk with passion. It gets easier in time. And all of a sudden, God will start using you in places you wouldn't expect. Like putting farm boys in pulpits or crazy things like that. Tenaciously go after that. Because there's a day coming when you're going to need it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. and Thank you for the truths that are constantly there. And I just pray that you would help us to diligently seek them out to give the labor necessary um, to have spiritual lives that are pleasing to you and edifying to others. Strengthen us to that task, Lord. Help us not to give up easily. Help us to encourage one another to that end. Lord, we thank you again for giving us the great gift of your word. Lord, we just give you thanks most of all for your son, for his great gift at the cross. In his name we do pray. Amen.